Our first scripture reading this morning is from the 8th chapter of the letter of Paul to the Romans and is found on page 148 of the New Testament of your Pew Bible. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed, conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Jesus Christ who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are all being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. As we have been for the last uh, three or four weeks, we are still in the 13th chapter of Matthew. Trust me, we're going to wrap it up today. We'll start in the 31st verse. We'll read 31 through 33 and then jump to 44 through 52. Some more parables of Jesus. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air may come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and reburied. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that is thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore and sat down and put good into baskets, but threw out the bad. 
so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate evil from righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The Gospel of the Lord. Uh, join your hearts in prayer with me. Grant to us ears to be able to hear the word behind the parable, the message in the story. And while our minds retain the story, your spirit takes that little narrative and kindles a spark of understanding in our hearts. May by your spirit we fan that understanding into a flame. Yes, Lord, another metaphor. Amen. We've spent the last several weeks, it seems, in Matthew 13 with its seven, maybe eight parables, all crammed into one chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. The parable of the sower who sows seeds on different kind of soil. The parable of the weeds sown in among the wheat. The parable of the mustard seed, which we just read, and of the leaven that makes bread not be a cracker. The hidden treasure that someone finds and spends all that he has to purchase, likewise with a pearl of great price, a net cast into the sea bringing all kinds of fish, and lastly, a scribe who, like the master of a household, brings out treasures both old and new. I've always thought verse 51, which was the next to the last verse of our passage this morning, when Jesus asks, have you understood all this? The disciples only say yes to get him to stop. Yeah, yeah, right, we, we get it, we get it. Stop with the parables. What on earth is he talking about? I say that because I'm not always completely sure that I understand all this, that there is some kind of magic decoder ring that turns each of these parables into a meaningful surprise story. When you look at these seven parables and the comparison to the scribe that is found in the eighth parable, every single one of them reveals some kind of relentless persistence. In these parables we find persistence in the planting Persistence in the patience, persistence in the production, persistence in pursuit, and persistence in presentation. And you all think, uh-oh, the pastor has degenerated to alliteration, and this is going to be a seven-point sermon, every point beginning with the letter P. Deep breath. Now... I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> Instead, I'm going to add yet another P word, the one that I think is the overarching word that covers all of these parables. The kingdom of heaven involves 
Passion. Passion. What is your passion? What is that thing that gets you so excited that when the subject arises, everyone else in the room goes, oh no, why did they bring that up? Here he goes. Now we're going to be here the rest of the day. Do you have a passion? Do you have a topic? Do you have a subject area that grabs your imagination, that your heart, your whole being is so intertwined with it that you just can't help yourself? A long time ago, I was traveling with my buddy, the Reverend Milton Winter. Milton Winter grew up in Cleveland, Mississippi. His mother was a math teacher at Rust College, and his father owned the hardware store in downtown Cleveland, Mississippi. And so as a little boy, because he was an only child, he spent a lot of time at his dad's hardware store. And in Cleveland, Mississippi, that meant a lot of time just with his dad in the hardware store, waiting for someone to come in and need hardware. And the only thing that broke up his day when he was a little kid running between the aisles of the hardware store was the noise of the train. Right across the street there in Cleveland, Mississippi, was railroad tracks that went both directions, in and out of Cleveland, Mississippi, and my friend Milton envied anything that could get out of Cleveland, Mississippi. At an early age, he decided that this was not where he was going to spend his days, and so every time the train came, he would look at the train and be excited because everybody on that train had been somewhere else. And as it pulled away, he'd think with the same amount of jealousy, and everyone on that train is leaving Cleveland, Mississippi. Well, he was giving me a roots tour once when we were down in Mississippi. He was showing me his childhood home and various churches and historic points. And at one point, we stumbled into, well, the sign said antique store. Once I was inside, it actually was junk shop. And we'd wandered around a little bit. I found nothing of interest, and so I told Milton, I'm going to head on out to the car. He said, that's fine. Except when I got out there, I realized that Milton had the keys to the car, and this was August in Mississippi. And so it wasn't too long before I began to search for some shade and wait and wait and wait. Finally, Milton comes out of the junk shop with a little thin bag he had made a purchase. He unlocked the car and started it up, started the air conditioning, and I said, Milton, what on earth did you find? Milton had found three antique train schedules that he did not currently have in his collection of train schedules. And I had melted out under the summer sun for Milton to go through the files of train schedules to find the three he did not yet own. In a moderate amount of disgust, I said, Milton, you and your crazy hobby. He turned and shot at me. It's not a hobby. Somehow thinking that I offended him, I was looking for words of apology. He said, it is an obsession. That's the kind of passion that we read about in these stories that Jesus gives us. The kingdom of heaven is like Milton Winter finding railroad memorabilia and forsaking all sense of proportion and friendship 
He finds and buys railroad timetables and indexes them into his personal collection. There is a certain absurdity to the level of passion that is found in these parables. The key that actually does relate these parables together, these random images into a coherent picture, is to understand who is the actor and what is the object of the passion. The sower, the landowner, the planter, the baker, the treasure hunter, the pearl merchant, the fisher, all of these are Christ. And the prize won, the growth experienced, the harvest gleaned, are the objects of God's passion in Christ. And they happen to be us. Us. We are the object of God's obsession. God's relentless passion with our retrieval and our flourishing and our eternal value. Against all reasonable risk, God retrieves us and cultivates us. In the old junk shop of human neglect, there in the back, God says, Ah, there you are. I will make you mine. Others have deemed you worthless, but you are to me unique and valuable. You are my precious find. Price is no object. Time is of no consequence. You are precious to me, and with me you are new. And with apologies to Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, the music swells up and God sings, Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley deep enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting you. Luke remembered three more parables in the same theme, and I won't go into detail, but I'm sure they trigger for you the same sense of enthusiasm. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. In all of these, the object of the parable, of the search, of the waiting, in all of these, it is about us. The whole gospel story culminates in an account of what we call the passion of the Christ. And in that we spend time on the suffering and the weeping and the denying and the dying and the rising. But in the richness of that story, it's easy to lose sight of the purpose of the passion. And the purpose of the passion was our redemption. Except Jesus keeps going. The constellation of these parables in the 13th chapter of Matthew may seem to be us redundant and relentless, and the disciples are maybe saying, get on with it, move on, Jesus, you're repeating himself, except Jesus does not mind repeating himself when it comes to his passion for us. Sometimes, as with the sower or the fisher casting, 
The message is general. It is broadcast. The sower sows seeds across the land. The fisher spreads a net out over the sea. Sometimes the work is particular and focused, like the treasure in the field or the pearl of great price. Sometimes we're impatient and want to get on to the harvest, even though there are weeds, but God commands His servants to wait until we have fully flourished in God's grace. Like the weeds with the wheat, like the nets with all kinds of fish, God patiently sorts through for us. But in all of these, the kingdom of heaven is the same driving passion of a character who cannot help but devote all of his energy, every thought, every action of his labor the obsession of his affection. It's like a scribe who copies the ancient text letter by letter, line by line, phrase by phrase. And when he is all done, it may seem like it's the same thing he started with, but it is writ all brand new. That God's relentless pursuit for us is a very old story, but for us today, it is also a new story because that pursuit continues not only for the moment of our salvation, but through the development and growth and maturity of all of life. So why Paul reflects on the depth of God's love for us in that grand crescendo from the eighth chapter of his letter to Rome. After reflecting on the reality of our sinfulness revealed to us by the law and then the grace that is poured out to us through Christ Jesus. When he thinks about his own sufferings for the sake of the gospel, he cannot help but write, What then is there left to say if God is for us? Who could be against us? He who did not hesitate to spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Can we not expect such a God to give to us everything else we could need? Who would accuse us? The ones whom God has chosen. The judge has declared us free for, from all sin. Paul writes, I have become absolutely convinced that neither death nor life nor principalities nor powers nor power from on high or a power from below has any capacity to separate us from the love of God. There ain't no mountain high enough. There ain't no valley deep enough. There ain't no river wide enough that the love of God in Christ reaches to us. We are the soil where the seeds take root. We are the wheat that endures. We are the mustard plant that flourishes. We are the bread that rises, the treasure that has value, the pearl that is worth paying a great price. The fish caught and sorted the new message from an old truth. God's obsessive love for us shared in Christ Jesus, our Lord knows no end. Amen. Let's join together in the affirmation of faith through the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. 
by the Holy Ghost, born with the Holy Spirit, suffered under the 